If I haven't met you, my name's Ollie. Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. You if you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this uh, message. I want to start tonight a little story. The other day I was at a, a Christian event uh, and this pastor from another church came up to me. And I, I knew of this guy. I, I didn't know him personally, but I, I didn't know who he was. So I was a bit taken aback that he'd want to talk to me, he came up to me, and he said, are you Ollie Van Ruth? I said, every day. I, I didn't, I said, yes, I, yes, I am Ollie Van Ruth. <laughs> uh, anyone seen the McConaughey movie? No, anyway, okay. He asked me, uh, are you Ollie Van Ruth? I said, yes, I am. And he started to tell me this story about how he's seeing this physio for his shoulder. Uh, and uh, as it comes up, the physio asks him, you know, what do you do for a living? And he says, I'm a pastor. Uh, and from there, this, this pastor patient goes on to tell him about, about Jesus and his faith. And the physio, it turns out, he does know some Christians. And his impression was that they were good people and he admired them. The pastor wanted to tell me this uh, to encourage me because the Christians he knew was me and my family. The physio was my relative. But I tell you this tonight because I was actually deeply humbled when I was told this. You see, I was embarrassed because I had never considered sharing about Jesus with this man. This relative of mine, to me, seemed too far from God too proud to ever want to know about Jesus. So it never crossed my mind that I would share my faith with him. Praise God that despite my inaction, God is using Christians around Adelaide to reach him. But my question is, why was I so unwilling to share Jesus with this relative? Why aren't we all more courageous in sharing our faith? If we've been saved by Jesus, if we believe that Jesus has risen from the dead, and I believe I had, I believe in that, why don't I share my faith? Why don't we share the gospel more? One reason I think we shrink back in sharing the gospel with our family, our our neighbours, our work colleagues, our classmates, is because We don't believe in the power of Jesus. Who in your life might you have written off like I had, whether subconsciously or or consciously? I I didn't make a decision that I wasn't going to share my faith, but just subconsciously, it never crossed my mind because I'd accepted that he was beyond saving. You see, I believe I had neglected to at least pray or, or to be willing in that moment that I was with my relative to bring up Jesus because I had chosen to accept that he was beyond the reach of Jesus. The great irony is, and we'll see it today, that without God's grace to me and God's power, I'm sure people would have written me off too. I'm very thankful for my junior youth leaders that uh, persisted, even though though how much of a brat I was. Uh, But tonight's scripture from Acts Uh, The account of Saul's conversion has really, really encouraged me and and challenged my perceptions. And it's convicted me of my unbelief. And I hope tonight that together with me, you will be captivated by the redemptive power of Jesus to save even the most unlikely. 
the redemptive power of Jesus to save the unlikely and give us courage in our mission. So let me, let me pray for us as we come to God's Word. Jesus, thank you so much that you speak. And thank you for this powerful uh, witness to your grace that we read. And I just ask, Lord, that you would stir in our hearts. Holy Spirit, come and, and move us to see and to be captivated uh, by who you truly are today. Amen. Well, uh, keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 9. Uh, open up there, and I want you to keep your finger in chapter 9, and then just turn back a couple pages uh, to chapter 6. Now, up until this point, the church has been growing exponentially, uh, but with growing opposition from Jewish elites. And we're introduced to this guy called Stephen, one of the seven deacons, and he's seized and he's brought before the council for speaking of Jesus and doing signs in his name. Chapter 7, we then see if you follow along, Stephen gives this powerful, moving speech of who Jesus is, proving that he is the Messiah, and finishing with a rebuke of the Jewish leaders' hard hearts. And so if you've got it there, chapter 7, verse 54. Now when they had heard, these, the Jewish leaders heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Here we have our very first introduction to a man named Saul. We find out later that Saul is in fact one of the chief Pharisees' uh, pupils, student. He would have had high rank, importance. When it says laying their garments at his feet, I was clearly a mark of respect and an authority. This guy was the real deal. Then we get this chilling, chilling record, chapter 8, verse 1, if you read it there. And Saul approved of his execution. It's as if Saul is watching as Stephen's body is mutilated as the stones crush him and in self-righteous smugness he's, he's chuffed Saul approves of this execution chapter 8 then marks a key turning point in the book of Acts as the gospel moves from the birthplace in Jerusalem as it starts spreading to Judea and Samaria as Jesus' followers the church scatters they're, they're fleeing persecution, fleeing from Saul. If you read verse 3 of chapter 8, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Think Gestapo in Nazi Germany or KGB in Russia. Communities terrorized under the leadership of this wicked and cruel man named Saul. Which then brings us back to chapter 9, uh, where we get up to tonight. Chapter 9, verse 1, if you want to read along with me. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, 
so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul is on the hunt. His sniffer dogs have picked up the sense, the trace leading to Damascus, and he's ready to chase them down, hunt them down. He breathes out threats and murder. He's out for more blood. Saul is an enemy of Jesus. Saul is an enemy. Saul is someone by all appearances is too far from Jesus' love. If I was one of those people belonging to the way, now that's just another way of saying, uh, an early way of saying they were Christians, they were following Jesus. If I was one of them, I would not be considering Saul as someone to put on my prayer list. You know, Saul's letterbox, I would skip giving an Easter invitation. I would not invite Saul to my baptism. And Saul would certainly not. I would not be asking him to take another look Sunday. Saul was an enemy of God. Saul was the most unlikely of people to receive the grace of God. Saul was an enemy of Jesus. The truth, however, is, as Saul will then later remind us, before Jesus rescued us, we were enemies of God. Colossians 1.21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled. Or Romans 5.8, While you were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, If while we were enemies of God, he has reconciled us. There is no one who deserves the grace of God or his reconciliation. There is no one too far because we're all, we're all way off. He has reached out and brought us to him. Why then do we go and write off people as too far beyond God's power? He saved us while we were enemies. We didn't do any good. He chose us. He brings us in. We bring nothing. And yet we have the foolishness, or I have the arrogance to accept someone's fate as too far gone. Like I had with my relative. Whether subconsciously or, or consciously, who have you accepted in your life that is beyond the power of Jesus to save? Who is it in your life that you have accepted that's beyond the grace of Jesus? Are there people in your life that you kind of hope that they don't ask you what you did on the weekend because then you feel obliged to talk about going to church? Or maybe, um, maybe you don't want to tell them what you do on a Friday night because then it's kind of awkward to explain that you're a, a Christian. Who have you stopped praying for because, well, it's, it's no use. What is the antidote to our apathy? What is the cure to our carelessness? Well, let me put it this way. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and, and you've accepted for yourself that you are beyond God's grace. You believe you're not good enough, that your shame is too great for God to accept you. Maybe you're thinking that if people really knew what you looked at at the internet, you'd know that I'm not qualified to be a leader. 
Or maybe you're thinking, if people really knew who I am and, and what I've done, they'd be showing me the door. Have you accepted for yourself tonight that you are beyond God's saving power? Or maybe it might be some, some part of your life that you just think is beyond God's grace to redeem, the redeeming power of Jesus to save. What will help our unbelief? What will help our unbelief? Friends, we all need to see with fresh eyes tonight the power of Jesus to save. I look down at your Bibles. We're going to continue reading. Verse 3. Now as Saul went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Imagine what's going through Paul's mind in this, this point. Seeing Jesus face to face. Just imagine in that moment, the crushing weight of guilt as his self-righteousness is exposed as wickedness. His threats and his, and his murder, not, not righteous indignation, but before Jesus, evil. He had been standing in opposition to the Son of God. Surely you'd expect in that moment to be struck by lightning. That moment of conviction in, in our act of sin, like the jarring feeling when you turn the light on in a dark room as the light exposes darkness. When, when we come face to face with a holy God, surely we cry, woe is me. All of our sin and affront to God, as King David will write. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judged. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It was Jesus whom Paul was really sinning against. Saul here, the worst of sinners, meets face to face with the exalted Lord Jesus. But friends, Jesus is merciful. The Lord Jesus, he's, he's not dead, he is risen and he is powerful to save the hardest hearts and then he leads us out of darkness into his purposes. So he tells Saul, but rise and enter the city and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Saul in no way was deserving of Jesus' grace. He was the most unlikely of converts but there was nothing that it was in Saul that could earn favor with God and he certainly was not too far from the reach of Jesus to save him Jesus came to him Saul he's later will go by his Greek name Paul writing these words to his apprentice I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he would consider me trustworthy appointing me to his service even though I was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent man, 
I was shown mercy, even though I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord overflowed to me, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display His immense patience as an example to those who would believe in Him and have eternal life. Now to the King, the only God, eternal, immortal, invisible, be glory and honour forever and ever. Amen. Saul recognises that Jesus' mercy to him had a purpose. Why? The reason Jesus appeared to him as the worst of sinners on the road to Damascus, to rescue him out of his unbelief and sin, was so that Jesus might display his immense patience as an example to those who would believe and receive eternal life. If the power of Jesus is strong enough to save murdering, self-righteous, arrogant Saul, he is powerful enough and patient enough to save you. If the power of Jesus is strong enough to save murdering, self-righteous, arrogant Saul, His mercy extended even to Saul. Jesus can extend His mercy and demonstrate His power in your unbelieving friends. Christ Jesus came into the world not to be an example, though He was, not to be a great teacher, though He was. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save me, to save you, to save sinners. And only God through Jesus was powerful to do it. That's why Paul can't help in this moment, in this letter as he's writing, just bursting into praise. Now to the king, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honour and glory forever and ever. The power of Jesus to save the unlikely. We need to see that redemptive power again tonight. I remember last year prior to our youth camp, Oh, there was this big fallout between two of our youth members. Uh, one of the youth of one of these guys then decided to stop coming. I mean, he had no reason to come. His family was pretty opposed to Christianity. Uh, it was a miracle that he was coming at all. Uh, but he decided, um, he felt betrayed by the church. He was done. Walking in the schoolyard, I'd see him around, but I got this vibe that he just wasn't really interested in talking to me. And so I'd resigned to the fact that he wasn't coming back. But praise the Lord, his youth leader, the week of youth camp, had the faith to send him a message and say, would you come along to camp? By some miracle, this youth member came. On the second day of camp, more relational breakdown, and his leader and I, we went and we just desperately trying to encourage him, minister to him. And that night, Uh, We extended to all the youth an invitation to follow Jesus, to accept him as Lord. And I almost fell over when this youth stood up. The following weeks proved it was was genuine. He was was back, he was keen, and he's been growing in the Lord ever since. And and this year he was uh, the second person to register for camp. 
Couldn't beat Caitlin though. Caitlin's always number one. <laughs> Christ Jesus is powerful to save. We forget that it's, it's not our power. It's not our own belief, our own ability. The work of salvation in any person's heart is always a work of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Saul's testimony must encourage us that God can save. That God can work in the hardest of hearts. Saul was hunting Christians when the resurrected Jesus appeared to him. No matter what you've done, no matter how much you might hate God right now, no matter how broken or crooked your life is, the mercy of Jesus is extended to you. No matter how far you might have accepted that your unbelieving friend or family member, whoever it is, Saul's testimony assures us that they are not beyond the reach of Jesus. I believe we don't evangelize more. I believe I am apathetic in sharing my faith, not for a lack of opportunity, not for a lack of knowing words to say, but I think it's a lack of faith that Jesus can work in someone's heart. Let the truth of Jesus the reality of his resurrection, the testimony of Jesus working in thousands and thousands of people over the years, build our faith. Our dependency, our trust, our power is not in ourselves. It is in Jesus. Our power is in Jesus and he can move mountains. Amen? We need reminding that Jesus is alive and powerful to break through. Do you believe that Jesus can save? But Saul's conversion is, is much about Ananias as it is about Saul. Uh, not the same Ananias from chapter 5, in case, in case you're wondering. Uh, and it's, he's probably one of the most underrated disciples in the Bible. And his example should encourage us. For in God's economy, he is in the business of using people, using us to work out his redemptive power. Believing in the power of Jesus will empower us in our mission. Believing in the power of Jesus will empower us in the mission he's given us. So let's keep reading along. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hand on him so that he might redeem his sight. Again, I want, I want you to put yourself in Ananias' shoes. He hears Jesus' voice and he's ready to obey. Here I am, Lord. Jesus says, go to Straight Street. Yep, on it. Go to Judas's house. Not that Judas, but go to Judas's house. Yeah, I know the house. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. Uh, whoa. <laughs> the irony is that Saul was searching for disciples in Damascus, Ananias. And here is Ananias called by God to search out Saul. And so Ananias, I think fairly, he asked for a clarification. Have I got the right soul? He says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here, 
He has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. If you're going to choose an instrument to reach the nations with the gospel, I don't think Ananias' first choice would have been the man trying to kill him. Uh, but the Lord's ways are not our ways. What will Ananias do? Given, given a command from God to go, how is he going to respond? Like Moses, is, is he going to say, I, I can't speak? Or like Jeremiah, I, I'm too young. Or, or maybe like many of us, we, we say, I'm just too busy. Not Ananias. No more objections, no more clarifications. Verse 17, so Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias, in faith, he greets Saul as brother obedient to God's call, empowered in the faith that God is powerful. He ministers to Saul, the man who was sent to kill him. In verse 18, and immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. Ananias trusted God. Ananias was the man who baptized Paul, the apostle to the nations. What a legacy. What an encouragement to the impact we might have if we have the faith to move in obedience to Jesus like Ananias. Jesus, who has commissioned each of us, every follower of Jesus with a call to go, to go and make disciples. Jesus invited Ananias into his redemptive purposes. And Jesus will show his redemptive power through us too. You see, the point of this passage, I don't think is for us to wait on Jesus to appear to our enemies in a bright light. Rather, Ananias sets an example for us of obedience to go. Paul will later write this to the Romans. The scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one whom they not on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful the feet of those who bring good news. How will anyone believe unless Ananias will go and tell them, unless we go and tell them? You and me are invited into the mission of God to be vessels, to be messengers of God's redemptive power. We've been using this uh, illustration at youth recently uh, that following Jesus can be compared to, to being on a basketball team. Except uh, we don't earn our spot on the team. We're not... Uh, shooting threes all the time that Jesus says, I want you. It's actually not our qualification that, that makes us good enough to play. Jesus, he brings us onto the team and we can never lose our spot. 
And on the team, we know our teammates intimately, side by side, our brothers and sisters, and we play the game. And there are no bench warmers. There are no bench warmers on the team. There are no spectators. When we get the call up, when we get the call to be a follower of Jesus, to be on the team, we, all of us, are called to be on the mission of Jesus. We play the game. But the power of the game is not in our strength. Ananias did not save Paul. It was the power of Jesus that gave Ananias the courage, the trust, and the faith to go, to go and lay hands on Saul. Let me encourage you tonight. Do not be afraid, but have courage in the good works God has for you. For those about to embark on Jesus' week, have courage that Jesus has power to save. The power of Jesus is strong enough. Jesus is powerful to break through the hardest of hearts. How can we overcome our apathy in sharing faith? Believe in the saving power of Jesus. How can you overcome your fear this week? Believe in the saving power of Jesus. I'm going to invite the band up and we're going to finish in a moment. But I want to leave you with a simple encouragement. This week, every morning when you wake up, pray this prayer. Dear God, give me courage in my conversations today to bring up faith in you because I believe you are powerful to save. When you go to your lectures, guys, and you're sitting next to someone, pray, God, give me courage because I believe you are powerful. You're powerful to save. When you're out to dinner with your relative, you're in the schoolyard, wherever you might be, in that moment, pray, dear God, give me courage because I believe you are powerful to save. And brothers and sisters, as we approach Mission Month in September, don't, don't let it just be words. Don't roll your eyes and coast through Sunday to Sunday. I know that is, that is me in so many ways and my temptation but I've forgotten that Jesus is powerful to save. Jesus is powerful to move in our hearts, in this place, in our city. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus and go to a world that is dying to make the most of every opportunity. So will you pray with me that God would save, that he would move again in power to rescue those that we've written off. Make a conscious decision tonight. Say it in your heart. I will not accept that people are beyond God's grace. I will not accept that people are beyond God's grace. Frankie, where are you going? I will not accept that they are beyond the reach of Jesus. Jesus is powerful to save your friends. Jesus is powerful to save you if that is you tonight. Jesus is powerful to save that unbelieving family member of mine. Jesus Christ is Lord and He is uniting all things to Him. Look to Him. Let Jesus fuel your evangelism. Let the power of Jesus wake us out of our apathy. Let Jesus move us that we might be like Ananias in going and that we might say like as Paul did, I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners... Christ Jesus might display his immense patience 
as an example to those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And then out of that, we just can't help but praise. Now to the King, immortal, invisible, the only God, be glory and honour forever and ever. Amen.